In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable stars. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as The Binary Saga. Log Entry, Vela 77. Vela Rotat 2701, Cycle 5 of the Ninth Annual. It worked. CJ, I have an incredible adventure to tell you about. First, I think I might owe you a bit of an apology for missing what I now realize is a lot of time between my last transmission and now. So much has happened and some of it is still a little confusing. You see, I have been gone for just over three annuals, for me, but I have now been informed that it's been over two rotats for everyone else. You can imagine how out of sorts everyone on my crew must feel. When we got back, the VSA was just about to call off their search and declare us as officially lost. There were those like Javi and Aaron and even my mom that refused to give up, but through official channels, the resources to continue looking for us were getting to be too much. In a way, I guess I can understand that, especially seeing as how there was no trace of our vessel and no way of knowing what actually happened. The trip was incredible. When we launched, there was a little bit of tension especially as we pulled through the atmosphere and started moving towards our target location. We were scheduled to stay in a distant orbit around Vela for two annuals while we performed all of the system checks to make sure that everything was good. We aligned the jump drive to a space that was just inside Haimavina space, near Radhyost. The target looked good, and when we were all ready, we engaged the drive. A burst of energy washed over the craft and we moved through the opening when suddenly we started getting warnings as we crossed the threshold of the jump barrier. Screens all over were flashing a message of forbidden. It made me think of something you said Juniper had seen on one of her missions. With very little time to react, our SI tried to recalibrate the navigational trajectory. In doing so, it started seeing some interference that was attempting to shut down the engine itself. But based on earlier tests, there was an extra layer of shielding around the drive and in the system to prevent any sort of tampering. When the shutdown failed, the interference went after our navigation, which was not shielded at all. The SI stepped in and changed the target location, picking it almost at random in an effort to save the jump. We couldn't shut down the drive at all as the projection had already been created, but the target could be relocated. Since I know this all sounds a little crazy, I'll add to that. All of this happened in a fraction of a subtide. To the entire rest of the crew, everything appeared normal and we emerged from the jump just near a large gas giant planet. Everyone was so excited that we had actually completed a successful jump. The celebration soon faded out as we realized it wasn't Rathiost. The planet we were near was swirling green with black stripes, but no rings. The system we were in had a yellow star, but 15 planets orbiting it. None of them were Haimavina or Vela. This took a few moments to actually sink in. When it did, 
we were all shocked. We had no idea where we were or even how we got there. The first few cycles were spent in kind of a reaction mode. We analyzed the vessel and began any repairs and refueling that needed to get done. It took a while to modify the drogues to operate in Hijo's atmosphere. Oh, we named the gas giant there Hijo, which is an ancient Velen word for green. Once they were deployed and gathering elements, we set the SI to work on analyzing star patterns, and really anything we could see to try and figure out our location. It took almost a full annual. That was when we actually learned what happened. The SI intervention, the strange interference, everything. The morale of the crew was extremely mixed. Some of them actually thought, at least initially, that the Hymavenans didn't want us flying to their system and caused the interference themselves. Thankfully, I knew of the problems that Juniper and the rescue fleet experienced during the tests of the CS2. The fact that they also experienced the same interference and also thought that it came from Vela clicked in my head. It wasn't anything or anyone from either of our worlds that caused this. I pushed the crew to ignore pointless speculation and focus on the problem at Webb. The status reports started flooding in. The jump drive was low on fuel, and even the main systems needed a recharge. We had enough for general operations, but not enough to fire up the mag sail, and definitely not enough to initiate another jump. We estimated at least another annul in orbit, collecting as much as we can from Hijo, and performing any repairs that were needed. In the meantime, the SI alerted us that it had finished crunching the numbers and figured out not necessarily where we were, but where home was. We found Von La and Aluda, which, at the distance that we were, blended together to be just a single distant point of light in the sky, barely even visible when we looked out any of the windows. CJ, I can't tell you how amazing it looked to see our home blended together as one, just a small dot in the sky. Now that we knew where home was, we needed to figure out how far from it we were. I had the idea to focus all of the radio sensors at that single point to see what we could hear. While we did pick up a lot of random transmissions and planetary noise, I thought you might be interested in one of the things we did manage to pick up. Have a listen to this. Tell Helgi and Frida that I love my brother and sister. Please give Floki bubbles for me. Okay, bye, Ori. It's really amazing that here you and I are talking about events that reach beyond our planets, and little Ori, who is six rotats old now, sees only her small pool as the whole world. Other members of the crew that have schools that have been communicating with Haimavina have also had similar messages filtered out for them. Siege, that message is from 2609 on Vela. When we left, it was 2700. That means we traveled 91 light rotats away from home. 91 light rotats. The jump drive was never intended to travel such a distance. 
which would explain why so many of the primary systems were burnt out and required extensive repairs. All of the tests and calibrations were for something much closer, maybe one to three light rotats. The number of calculations required for jumping as far as we did is insane. Either that, or we just got really lucky. No Velen has ever even left the Von La system, much less a single light rotat away. Here I was commanding a crew on an experimental spacecraft that was now 91 light rotats away. To say that I was a bit scared is an understatement, but as the commander of the crew, I had to put all of that away. They needed to see their leader as strong and calm. It was one of the hardest things I have done. And I once sailed across the ocean right after a major crash that broke half of my body. At least when I did that, the only person I had to be strong for was myself. I spent so many nights in my room talking with the SI. Mostly because it was Aaron's voice and, in a way, I felt like I was talking with her. Aaron also coded a special surprise for me and had it loaded into the system. It was a small gaming algorithm that I could play some simple games with vocal feedback. For the voice of it, she actually talked Javi into recording some samples. So, in a way, I had both Javi and Aaron with me for support. When I wasn't working on crew support and reviewing tasks that would help us to return home, I could have a conversation with Aaron or play a simple game like Kator with Javi. You were there with me as well. Every night I would go and visit the greenhouse pod and look out on this strange system we were in and I would find Aluda Van La and hold my feelstone. I did my best to send you thoughts and feelings that I was still here and that I missed all of you back home. I can only hope that you heard me. It wasn't until the third annual, hovering in our little orbit, where we had finally gathered enough materials to finish any repairs and restock our fuel reserves. The magsail was brought online and we ventured away from Hijo and could get out and see what the rest of this system was made up of. This also allowed us to get out from Hijo's shadow and let the SI collect more data from the surrounding stars and help in calculating our potential return trip. The system was amazing. As I mentioned, the star was bright yellow and a little larger than a Luda, and it was surrounded by 15 planets in total. From what the scientists on board told me, none of them looked like they could support life, as we know it. But it was still amazing to see it in person. Since this area was essentially uncharted, the crew and I took it upon ourselves to name all of the planets. They gave me the honor of naming the star at the center, which I named Iryala. Without what Papagisto and Antiiria have done for all of us, I doubt we would be here. And I know that Haimavina has named a very important station after Papagisto. So I thought it was a fitting tribute that a bright star in the sky be named for someone that has been a bright star for us. Once we collected enough data that the SI could plot out the exact time, location, and orbital paths of all of the celestial objects between us and home, it was time to initiate the jump and get us back to Vela. We hoped. 
We performed every pretest we could, and our own SI technician worked to validate all of the code that was running through the vessel to ensure there was no external interference. As we looked out the viewport, I focused all of my attention on the Aluda Von La point of light and touched the Vegvisir pendant that was affixed to my chair. Then, we jumped. Everyone held their breath during the whole process. When we emerged, the first thing we saw was Fenora. It took a few incredibly tense moments for the system to confirm that it actually was Fenora that we were looking at. Then suddenly, a wave of messages and radio traffic started flooding in. It confirmed that we were, indeed, back home. The entire crew erupted into cheers. Everyone was either hugging each other or flooding. We are all so happy to just be home. They weren't alone. The communications grid lit up with incoming messages. At first, they were all from the base camp at Fenora, because they were the closest. But within a few quarter tides, we got messages from home. Apparently, within moments of detecting the energy burst, Javi boarded a craft similar to the one he was on going to Key, and they burned at nearly a constant 2 VSG to get to us. I'm sure they'll pay for that later, but with his help, we managed to start the trip to bring the CS3 home to Vela. While I was waiting for him to arrive, a number of messages were sent between Aaron, Mom, and everyone back home. I was relieved to finally get a hold of Aaron. She was so excited that I could hardly get a word in. I tried to explain to her that the SI saved us. She ignored all of it and was just focused on me being home and how soon I would be able to see her. When I showed Mom the message that I heard from the Iriala system of her when she was a little girl, she teared up at hearing her father's voice again. She was happy to know that somewhere out there, his voice is carrying on. We were restricted from sending anything to Haimovina until we had gotten through a general debrief, but that was all done while in transit because they knew that we would want to let everyone know that we were okay. I think they knew that I wouldn't wait until I was at home before sending you something. When Javi arrived, that's when everyone started to realize how much time had actually passed since we were gone. I can't believe that we missed so much. I had to rely on Javi a lot to catch me up on all of the happenings both here and over there with you. I'm so sorry that I missed out on the celebration of Helgi and Frida turning 100. I'm sorry I didn't get them anything. Oddly enough, I couldn't find a good gift shop in the Iriala system. I love the gift that you got for Helgi. I remember Mom telling me the story of you and your rocks. It was perfect. I have been making a list since returning of all of the people I need to send messages to. Naturally, Mom, Aaron, and you were at the top of the list. But I have to send my congratulations to Heather and Max as well. Tillax, CJ. I had no idea that so much would go on while I was away. It was only three annuals for me. It's like I just left, and not that long ago. And here we are, with two of our friends married, and also Brian doing a full launch for his big game. Wasn't he working on that back when we were still talking about the network? 
I'm so excited for him, and I can't wait to see how big it becomes. Speaking of big, I heard about the news of Haimovina not getting a space elevator installed. It sounded like a really bold move for Helgi. Javi filled me in on all of the details that he knew, but I wonder if maybe you or Andy knew more about what was going on behind the scenes. I would have thought that having the elevator installed was a big thing for Haimovina to better incorporate into the lifestyle of the Alithians. Helgi must have some important plans for Verkstad if they're going to block something like that. I bet he's working on another new engine that hasn't been released yet. I was glad to hear that Andy took the news well. Trust me, I know what it's like to have something you work really hard towards fall out from under you. Literally. I know that Javi was much more interested in the concept of racing transports. He can be so short-sighted sometimes. But tell me more about this Guardians program you have there. It sounds like it's a very fascinating pilot program. Has Juniper been involved with it at all? I may be lacking in some of my knowledge of other pilots throughout all of the various planets there, but Juniper has always been someone I look up to in her skills as a pilot and even as a commander. So if she wasn't one of these guardians, then she should be. You know, if Urko is interested in fast vessels, you should let him know that I just commanded one that traveled 91 light rotats in a matter of militides. I'm pretty sure that has to be a speed record on any planet. Let both of them know that I will cherish the patches they sent. I'm even going to see if I'm allowed to attach one to my uniform. If that sort of thing would be allowed from your end. Well, we are still in transit from Fenora back to home but I wanted to get this message out as fast as I could. I missed all of you so terribly. I know it seems weird since I was barely gone for that long on my end, but that was three annuals in the middle of nowhere with the thought that we may never return. I have already been on various communications back home, albeit with significant time lag, since we are still about an annual away, and both Mom and Aaron are so relieved. I heard that Aaron actually moved in with Mom in an effort to help her out. I know that Mom tends to cook a lot when she's stressed out, so I can only imagine that the house is probably filled to the brim with various baked goods. I know that when I get home, there is going to be briefing after briefing, and the CS3 will probably be stripped down to bare metal to analyze everything they can about the trip. She was a good craft and took care of us while we were out there but I will just be happy to get back to normal. I need my bed at home and maybe a trip out on the Yana. It's going to be strange to look up at the stars now, knowing that somewhere out there is Iriala and that I was just there myself. With any luck, this means that I may be able to visit you just like I visited Iriala. May the waves guide us. Jason. 47? Log entry, Hi Mavina 77, 2382, Age of Enlightenment. Hey Jason, welcome back, but mostly, you did it! Woohoo! <laughs> I'm so happy you're back, and you're safe. I think you and your crew can safely say you are the greatest Velen adventurers. 91 light years away in one jump? What? <laughs> 
frightening moments, and panic aside, this is amazing. 15 planets, a striped gas giant, and a yellow star? Oh, it sounds so beautiful. I hope you got pictures for me. <laughs> How is your crew doing? Do you all hug when you see each other? Going through what you all went through makes you family because you share such an incredible experience that no one else can truly understand. No matter how many briefings, meetings, or data crunching you have to do, the bond you will have will never go away. Even if you leave the VSA, you are now part of history. It's pretty incredible, right? <laughs> when I played your message again, it warmed my soul because I heard how love kept you going. Not only did the SI program Aaron created kept you safe from near disaster, Aaron kept you grounded when you needed her. She kept you calm when you were scared, and she kept you company with her games, and she guided you home. And if you don't believe me, believe Vegvasir. It can only guide you home, and it brought you back to Aaron. <laughs> I will be forever grateful for her for supporting not only Javi, but also your mom. I know my family wanted to be there for Ori, but we were so happy to hear Aaron was there to support her. Iria was incredibly touched to learn that you named a star for her. She said, mm, that sweet kid, and then touched her hand to her heart. She also thought it was beautiful that you got to hear Gisto and loves that Gisto's voice will live on through space and time. Maybe someone else out there will listen to him in Iria. <laughs> Who knows? I know you've had a flood of messages from everyone, and I bet you're probably sick of all the press interviews. I'm sure you've had to do now. Your favorite, right? <laughs> also, did you see the network? You are all over it. <laughs> did you and the crew name the craft something special? My mom said when she sold her first segment, the one that she used to sail around Haimavina, it was bittersweet watching it get pulled from the water. I remember she saying something very similar about it being a good craft that kept her safe during her journey. But now, I think I understand what she meant after hearing the sadness in your voice as you explained how the CS3 will be stripped down to metal. That craft protected and brought you all home safe. And now she's giving the last bit of herself to help the next version of the CS program. There's something very beautiful in her sacrifice. As far as how your absence played out here, well, when the CS3 didn't show up in the system, talking heads from the spacing industry assured everyone that it was normal and that the arrival date was just an estimate. But as the days turned into weeks and then months, I think they knew something went wrong. JSC investigating reporting was intense for a while. Apparently the fleet, Hoxa, Hagen Industries, and Verkstad had ships all over the Eluda system looking for your craft. The search was called off fairly quickly because it was obvious you guys didn't make it into our system. The fleet stayed in contact with the VSA, but no one would say that your crew died, just that you were gone. Helgi said it's an astronaut superstition that unless a body is recovered, talking about the crew's fate brings bad luck. And if it looks like they won't be returning, then you wish them well on their journey. We waited longer than anyone because, well, <laughs> your family. And when we got to that point, we decided to wish you well and ask Linnea that wherever you were, you could feel us sending you love. We gathered at my parents' place in Hopnina and toasted your journey to the stars. 
and told stories about you. When it was my turn, I held my feelstone against my heart, and I said I hoped that wherever you were, you would still remember our friendship, and that I will always love you. But of course, Helgi's hand terminal beeped right in the middle of my speech. He apologized and answered the call, and because I was glaring at him, I saw his face change. He punched the air, he held up the terminal, and hit the speaker button, and grinned like an idiot. Aunt Juniper was on the line from Braddock, and reported that the fleet had detected an energy signature in the Von Law system. They were still parsing the data when a quick transmission from the VSA arrived, reporting that you had arrived safely back in the system. Everyone started cheering and hugging, and I may have cried with joy. <laughs> we passed around the fieldstone to send you love. Iria, Helgi, and Kai excused themselves and rushed back to Verixad headquarters. A few days later, my hand terminal chimed, and your message arrived. I cried happy tears as Andy held me, and we listened. He told me, I told you he'd never quit. <laughs> While you were gone, my fieldstone was almost always with me. More than once, I fell asleep with it in my hand, and I had those vivid dreams again. It was like I was flashing through different points in history. In one, I was sitting in a commercial seating of a crowded spacecraft leaning against someone. In another, I was laying on a warm black sand beach watching someone play in the waves with a couple of children. Still in another, I was holding someone's hand as we sat on a dais in an ancient longhouse. And then your voice would say, CJ, and I would wake up. Maybe you were speaking to me through the stone. I wonder if the dreams were the stone's memories or something. I asked my dad and Bjorn if they've ever encountered that, but neither have fallen asleep with their stones. Bjorn told me that he always has really vivid dreams anyway, so he wouldn't know any different. Did you dream anything when you were gone? How are you doing now that you've been back? Any lingering side effects? Did you get taller? I mean, you were gone for two years. Two years! <laughs> I totally remember how long it took to send and receive messages before. Let's not ever go back to that again. <laughs> but now that the jump drive works, hopefully we can just meet instead. Javi told Mari that the hotel was completed. Shall we start making plans? How's Thursday for you? I have a couple meetings I can push. <laughs> it sounds like Javi filled you in on most of the stuff that's happening here. I was touched that Erico found Guardian-based patches for you and Javi. He said that they're not official, so you can put them on a jacket or your flight bag. He was so excited to hear that you completed your mission and made some pilot joke about getting a ground speed check. It was kind of a long walk, but he assured me that you would get it. <laughs> he said Juniper occasionally serves as a senior sponsor for training classes and terrifies all the pilots when she flies against them. Juniper laughed when I told her later, and she said, Don't listen to Talon. He flies with no mistakes, the bastard. <laughs> Apparently, the last time they went head-to-head, -head, it ended in a draw. I promise I will try to get more of their stories for you. <laughs> Yes, our old friend Brian Carrington finally finished The Realm of the Fallen Oracle, and it's quickly becoming the most popular game in two systems. His company is now headquartered on Veron to take advantage of the tech industry. Brian invited me over for an office tour, but he really wanted my opinion on a few potential VC investors and House Hughesby, who has been sniffing around as a potential buyout. 
But you know Brian. He knows what he wants. But he just needs someone else to tell him it's a good idea. He had already decided not to sell. And I agreed, because I think his game is on the verge of becoming one of the biggest games ever. I got an exclusive demo, and guess what? You and I are NPCs in the game. (laughs) You are a warrior who protects the Empress in the main city. And I am one of the oracles who gets killed by the fallen oracle. (laughs) My namesake NPC kicks off the story arc that takes players to their first dungeon encounter. Once the players avenge her death, my NPC becomes the guide for the players through the rest of the game. Brian was really proud of this and introduced me to the art people and other designers as Oracle Cicela. <laughs> Casipa. <laughs> but I did get a lifetime game subscription, though. He says he's going to send you a standalone version so you can play through the quest lines. I'll give it to Brian. The game is actually pretty cool, and it's neat to see his vision finally realized. Let's see, what else happened? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, about a month ago, um, Andy got fired. After the Hausmannstrasse space elevator project fell, Andy was in damage control for a while. Raytheon blamed him and started to pull back his portfolio. And things got pretty rough between them. Andy and several members of the Hausmannstrasse board decided it was time to vote Raytheon out. The day Andy called for an emergency board meeting, Raythea held a press conference and announced publicly that Andy was out and she had named his aunt Maggie as Scion. Needless to say, Andy was blindsided as everyone else. Half of the board threatened to quit, but only stayed because Andy convinced them that the house still needed them. Before you ask, we are more than fine financially speaking. Andy retained his shares in House Fenstrasse and still gets his family dividends. And we still have my ridiculous salary. I wasn't sure what to expect from Andy the following day, but he said that he had never slept so well. I was a little worried that he was putting up a front for me, so I enlisted his brothers and Kai to come over and cheer him up. They showed up with signs that read, We'll work for Vin. My mom fired me. Can you spare some change? And World's Least Employed Brother. Kai even brought him a stack of job applications from the cafe shops in walking distance from our flat. That wasn't what I had in mind. (laughs) A few days later, at the Von Lichtbug, Andy got his share of razzing, sympathy, and anger at Raythea. Everyone kept losing their hands to Andy, and I think it just made him laugh. When Oli won a huge hand and kept it, he said, What? He's a Vinstrasse. He'll be fine. I like taking Raythea's money. (laughs) No one laughed harder than Andy. But I was still waiting for Andy to grieve his loss. Talk, vent, or cry. I don't know. In fact, worrying about Andy distracted me from worrying about you. So that weekend on Viron, I used my last arrow in my quiver and assembled the members of Club 100. Club 100 is what I lovingly call my dad, Uncle Helgi, Erko, Oli, and Bjorn, on account of their age. I thought that name was very clever, until my mom and Sonnet passed out shirts for the guys that read CJ's Fan Club on the back and nicknames on the front. There was Hot Dad, Okayest Uncle, Goofball, Heartbreaker, and Favorite. Andy got a shirt too, but his nickname was Pledge. (laughs) Mom. 
New shirts on, Oli slammed a drinking horn into Andy's chest and said that they were going to teach him how to drink like an ancient Yothian warrior. My dad filled Andy's drinking horn and told him to chug it while everyone cheered his name. I pulled my dad aside and asked him if he forgot that Andy is a lightweight. And my dad said, That lager is barely 4%. It's basically water. No one can get drunk off of that. He'll be fine. My husband was passed out by his third drink. (laughs) Erico hoisted Andy over his shoulder and carried him into our room. Andy mumbled that he was fine and he just needed to close his eyes for a minute. But he was snoring by the time I moved the covers over him. Poor guy. (laughs) Erico and I returned to everyone in the great room and he said, Ah, weak alondrins. Bjorn, show Cicela your surprise. And Bjorn thumped a five-gallon keg of the mahogany Viron ale from the Northern Realm Brewing on the table, which he knows I love. I grabbed a pint that he offered, and I announced, And that's why he's the favorite! (laughs) Everyone booed as he proudly lifted his arms like he won a contest. (laughs) We all headed outside, drinks in hand, and my mom and Oli played guitars and serenaded us around the fire pit. Oli even talked me into singing my favorite duet song with him to lots of supportive cheers. We all ended up in the hot tub looking at the stars. My mom put her arm around me and told me that you were out there somewhere thinking about me too. Everyone had given their drivers a night off and were too drunk to drive home safely, so they all crashed in guest rooms. When I got to bed, Andy was sound asleep. He missed his own party. But as I was falling asleep, I had to smile as I put everything together. In the morning, I got up early to make breakfast for everyone. Bjorn was the first to emerge and gratefully accepted a cold brew cafe, which I know he loves. He thanked me and said that I was his favorite too, and drank about half of the glass in one gulp. He declared that he had the best thing for a hangover and started pulling ingredients out of the fridge. I watched him blend an elaborate smoothie with tons of fruits, spices, and a few other things. While he was making a pitcher of this weird colored drink, I thanked him for changing the evening plans to cheer me up, because I knew it was his idea. Bjorn smiled at me and said, I don't think Jason would want you to live under a cloud, just like Alora wouldn't want me to continue to mourn her. <laughs> I took a sip of the smoothie, and it was weird, but oddly delicious, and it worked. Instant hangover cure. Then he told me that Alora taught him the recipe. As we continued making breakfast for everyone, we traded stories about our best friends. Everyone had been up for a while as Andy shuffled in. He had his hand on his head, and he said, What did you guys make me drink? That Bjor was strong. <laughs> Later that day, Andy finally told me that he was touched, that I was so worried about him. But he said that he felt free for the first time in his life. He reminded me how I always like to ask head of houses what they would do if they weren't head of house, and that I should ask him. So I did. And he told me that all he wants to do right now is sail, travel, and spend time with me. So far this month, Andy has joined Rune on several travel assignments to review different mountain resorts and spas. He sails, works out, and on some days I just find him on the sofa with a book. It's nice to see Andy relaxed. He's had a ton of job offers, but he's decided to try out for a professional sailing team with Max. It's an interplanetary competition 
with high-performance foiling segments, and the teams compete across a season at multiple events on each of the planets. It's pretty cool. We even had son and dog brunch with his parents before we came back to Heimavina. Raythe and Andy seem to have worked out their differences. Andy said his mom will always be his mom, even if she makes terrible business decisions. I guess we've all grown up. Bjorn and my dad and I agree that Raythea was an idiot to fire Andy. And word was out that Hausvenstrasse is a wounded Elgar lost in the snow. Every spacing house will come for her, including the Ice Lion. <laughs> it seems so weird just telling you everything that's been going on. Like, you weren't gone for two years! <laughs> no, I'm never going to get tired of that joke. <laughs> so, I'm so glad that you're back. And you're safe. I've missed your voice. Maybe not scare us all again. <laughs> Love always. CJ. Age 47. Log entry. Vela 78. Vela Rotat 2702. Cycle 7 of the 10th Annual. Hey there, CJ. This last Rotat has been crazy. I'm sure you can picture all of the different meetings and debriefings and conferences that I have had to attend. Everything from council inquiries into the new system that we jumped into to VSA investigations into the cause of the issue that caused us to jump there. Not to mention all of the press conferences, news program interviews, and every Velen randomly stopping me in the transit streams to ask what it was like to visit a whole different star. Okay, well, that last one doesn't happen all that often, but it was definitely more than once. Okay, fine, it was twice. And it was right outside the VSA headquarters, but that still counts. I got home about three annuals after the last message I sent you. They wanted to take the trip slow so that nothing would get further damaged with the CS3 on the way back. It was strange when you think of the timing of everything. When we launched, we were up in orbit around Vela for two annuals, then in the area law system for three more annuals, and then back between Feynora and Vela, which was also three annuals. Everyone on board was used to time dilation as all of us had been on missions in and around the system. The mag sails always cause a little bit of disorientation, but to all of us, it only felt like we were gone for just under a rotat. My trip to Tekor Havala was longer than that. What really caused my heart to sink was the first night back home. Aaron met me at the spaceport when we disembarked the shuttle that brought us all back home. Actually, I think everyone's schools were there, but I could only see her. It was like everything else in the terminal just got turned down to a low hum and all of the lights around her dimmed. The look of relief and love on her face slammed into me like a wave on the breakers. I walked slowly up to her and set my bags down, and we both just stood there for a moment, staring at each other, without speaking. I finally blurted out, I'm sorry I missed our usual carryout date. She then jumped into my arms and kissed me, saying, It doesn't matter. You're home. It's really you. You're here and you're home. We went back to our flat, and when I walked in, everything was dark, dusty, and kind of a mess. 
Erin apologized that she hadn't cleaned up. When she learned that we hadn't showed up at our intended location, she immediately packed up everything that she needed and went to my mom's place. She knew that it was better to be there to help out with everything that my mom might require assistance with. That, and I think she needed to be around someone else. I completely understand. Sleeping in your bed alone, not knowing what was happening on the other side of the galaxy can get a little stressful. When she got to mom's house, the two of them decided to settle into a routine to help each other out. Aaron said that they had a pact with each other to retain normalcy and comfort each other when needed. The first part of that, as she explained, is how they managed to stay sane. They both knew that if they spent too much time fretting over the investigation and search, when there wasn't really anything that they could provide, that they would end up succumbing to the grief and that wouldn't be good for anyone. So for everyone else, they were strong and cool-headed. For each other, they were there when either of them needed it. The downside to all of this was that, with Aaron living with my mom at this point, all of my plants died. She said that Javi was actually the worst of all of them. Every time she saw him, he was a complete bundle of nerves that was ready to snap at any moment. Whenever he would come by to check on them, they actually had to almost pretend everything was completely normal because they were afraid that if they showed any sign of grief, he might lose the last bit of composure that he had and crumble, which would just make the rest of them fall to pieces as well. Mom would cook, and Aaron actually took care of most of the housework. And when they weren't doing that, they were either working through their normal jobs or just keeping tabs on the search. For the rest of the crew, it was seeing the faces of all our friends and schools that really hit us on how everyone else experienced our absence. For them, we were gone for, if you include general flying around our system, almost three rotats. Did you know that little baby Pei is now six rotats old? I missed out on almost half of her life, and to me, it was barely a blip. It was like I had just seen her, and now she's up and walking and swimming around. When I was at the VSA, Joru had brought Pei in, and she actually walked up to me and said, Hello, Anka Jezun. I nearly started to flood. Aside from all the joyous reunions and relief at seeing everyone, the next hardest part of coming home was the investigation. As I mentioned, they were planning to do a complete teardown of the CS3 to examine every aspect of the craft and discover what might have caused the interference. That is still underway, of course, but they have already started analyzing the data recovered from the synthetic intelligence. The interference they discovered is very apparent in the coding. The SI actually managed to capture some of the signals it detected and record what it was attempting to do. CJ, I doubt you will be terribly shocked to learn, but the interference that we experienced is exactly like what Juniper and some of the other Haimavina vessels went through. The difference is, is that it played with our navigational systems in a way that caused the SI to jump out of the system. They are still working to figure out what it was and where it came from. Another set of meetings was all about the new system we visited. I think I mentioned that we didn't have a whole lot of time to really explore the whole system, but using our sensors we were able to map out as much as we could see. The whole place was much too big and I won't bore you with the details of each and every planet there, all 15 of them, especially since I have already gone over it 
at exhausting levels with the scientists here. Most of them were actually pretty boring. The usual run of large rocky bodies and average gaseous planets. There was, of course, Hijo, which is where we spent most of our time. I grabbed a photo of it so you could see the deep green and black stripes that circled it. This planet was really our saving grace, as it had exactly the elements we needed to get operational again. We were almost afraid to leave it because it was our lifeline. I also took a shot of the star, Iria La, with Hijo in silhouette, so you can see everything around us. Please give this photo to Iria. I want her to see that between her star and Papa Gisto's message, they were what guided us home. When we had the briefing about the system, the VSA did actually give us some interesting looks about our nomenclature of all the planets. Since the crew got in on the naming, some of them were a little silly, but it was our system, and there was no one there to stop us. The small planetoid near the outer region was named Pene, after the daughter of our navigation engineer. There was one icy planet that got called Atotopia. That was named for a small white fish that swims around in really deep water. And right up close to Iriala, a volcanic planet was named Even, which I think my second-in-command, Posha, named it after his mate due to both her and the planet being somewhat volatile. Due to it being our crew that discovered it, and once they finally pinpointed the system in our own night sky, where it was only identified as VGU87536, the names were authorized and our own star charts were updated to reflect it. I'm sending you the coordinates of the system, and Aaron even plotted out exactly how to find it from Hymavina. Let me know if you can see it. You asked about if we had named the CS3 at all before it started its teardown. While most of the crew stuck with CS3 as the general name, after our unintended side quest, it did inherit a new name, though unofficial. We started to refer to it as the Pramuka. A Pramuka is usually a local guide in ancient times that would take you through jungles or waterways to show you the way to your destination. It seemed fitting since it managed to get us out there and back home all safely. When we got home, Posha actually managed to get a hold of the commencement plaque from the CS3 and scratched out the designator and etched in Pramuka over it. He gave it to me from my office at the VSA and it's hanging on my wall now. Okay, enough of my prattling on about my misadventures. I have so much to catch up on everything that has happened with you. I contacted the people at the radio labs and asked them to keep an eye out for a data transfer from Brian. They told me that something was actually in process, but that it was a huge dump of data, and most of it was still unrecognizable, but that it was in process of downloading. Once it's finished, they will need to analyze it to make sure that the translation of the data to something that would be functional on our system works. They have been tweaking a virtual emulator that simulates a Hymavina-based system, so it will be running in there first. I pulled a few of them aside and actually told them what the data was and their eyes lit up. Apparently they had heard of the game from their contacts and suddenly they were much more interested in getting it working. Hopefully there will be no unauthorized copies made of the data. What is going on in Andy's house? First he takes over from Raythea 
and things start running smoothly, and then suddenly he's voted out and is now completely removed from his position? I've mentioned before that I barely understand your house politics. This just took everything that I did know and threw it out the airlock and spaced it. Was Raythea concerned that Andy may uncover something that he shouldn't know? Or is it that she wants to control everything and when he came in, it took power away from her? If you ask me, I think he's probably way better off distancing himself from all of that insanity. It sounds like he's come to that realization too. I know that you're looking out for him and think that he may be down about his situation, but if he's suddenly seen the truth about his situation and the idea that his mother may not be who he really thought she was, it could be a huge relief for him to not be a part of that anymore. I can understand why he's going out and enjoying his life now that he's no longer being oppressed by Raythea. I'm sure if he stayed, there would be protests by a group that think he is as downtrodden as the Velens are. <laughs> so how is unemployment treating him? Has he started to grow out an uncomfortably long beard? That's what you have there, right? It's facial hair, I believe. Over here, we have a few stages that unemployed people go through. The first one is the party stage, where they go out every night and even during the day to do all the things they couldn't do before. Then there's the acceptance stage, where they usually just sit around the house and eat junk food while watching horrible vid shows on the wideband. After that, they usually mold back into society and work out what they want to do with their lives. From what I know of Andy, I don't think he would stick around in the first two stages for very long. He's bright enough to bounce right back and figure out where he belongs. And right now, it seems that it's with you working towards a better life for everyone there. Now, if he's still in the second stage, then all I could say is to just give him a blanket and assure him that you're there for him if he needs you. He'll be okay. He just has to work out the stages on his own. Now this part is for Andy, so pause and get him to come in the room, if he's not covered in the aforementioned blanket. Is he there now? Okay, good. Hey there, Chone. I know that CJ has probably been smothering you with attention and asking you all the time if you're okay and if you need help with everything that's going on. Or maybe it's not CJ, but everyone else. Just know, they do it out of love. All of the people around you care for you and want you to succeed in whatever it is that you decide to do. I know how complicated it can be to be in one place with everything familiar around you and then suddenly you find yourself in a whole new place where everything is new and potentially scary. The best thing you can do is to find that one shining star in your life and follow it. If you do that, it will take you right to where you need to be. When you get there, you'll know, because everything else will just fade away, and what you really need or want will be the only thing you see in front of you. Okay, you can put CJ back on. Take care, buddy. All right, is he is he gone? Oh, okay, good. You should hurry up and get that guy a job. Maybe Frida can hire him as a backstage tech or something. Otherwise, he's going to loaf around your place forever. While I am on the topic of your place, seeing as how Andy is now a free spirit, have you thought about sticking around Haimovina for a while? I mean, it's not like he has to go back to Alondra for work anytime soon. I know there's your mentor, Bjorn, back on Viron, but 
maybe you can try and convince him to come along for the ride. Once he and Iria have finished their corporate takeover of House Venstrasse, they can move the whole business to incorporate it with Verkstad. Sadly, it looks like the trip from here to there may not be as instantaneous as we had predicted just yet. With the Pramuka being dismantled and the investigation into the strange interference underway, the Council has decided to continue efforts to build out our fleet of magsail craft and utilize them as our primary means of travel in the system. Since the probe that has been running back and forth between our worlds has apparently had no trouble traversing the midway point, which is where most of our problems seem to be happening on both sides, the all velen only tech vessels are the most reliable and best shielded from any potential incidents. What this means that any travel, whenever that may get authorized, will still take around two rotats to arrive and another two to come back. Not that it matters much, as we are still waiting for any sort of trade deal to be worked out before they even start to consider the idea of sending anyone that distance. To do that, they need to sort out their differences of opinion. I can only hope that the news and events of the CS3 are holding off any of the bickering in the council so they can refocus and try to work out some of their own issues with communication, both internally and with Haimavina. Either way, I'm just glad to finally be home. May the waves guide us. Jason, 48. You've been listening to an episode of Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petricelli. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, and Samantha. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with a lot of fun, special features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our Cafe, Bjor, or Sidris funds, it is always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at TheBinarySaga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for general chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can also read the print version of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. Print versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga.